I need to go to college for. I don't need to see a different one that's for, uh, like performances and concerts. You know what I should do just to prove just to prove Pat's grandma wrong. I should show up show up in like a tuxedo. Guys, be careful about the table. Um, <laughs> all right, so I can't do this. Yeah. That's super. Oh, yeah. How much does that hurt your ears? That's a cool. lot. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I actually wanted to do that for our. Uh, I wanted to drop this for our clap today, but you yeah. won't let me do that, huh? Yeah. No, it sounds like a, a train crash in my ears. Oh my gosh. All right, so I'm gonna clap in three, two, one. <laughs> Welcome to the Uloft Podcast. This is Michael Vaughn. I'm joined by Caleb Fugate. Hey. Julia Buggy. Hey, everybody. Tanner Hoshide. What's up? Kendall Kersey. What is up? Okay. So, <laughs> what was, I was that? I don't know why that was so funny. <laughs> I was, uh, oh, for some reason, like, I didn't say and before Kendall, so it felt like there was another person, but another right. person is me, so. I, he paused and almost, he almost <laughs> introduced himself again. <laughs> he looked to his right, was well, like, yeah, uh, yeah. And the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey. Yeah, that's, that's it. Okay, so we have a pretty interesting topic today. We're going to talk about all things worldliness. And so the first question that I want to unpack The nitty-gritty. Super familiar with that. (laughs) 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 How do we... You can see how this is going to go Says the guy in the suit. I'm super worldly. (laughs) (laughs) Just imagine like Wall Street businessman. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, okay, so... um, (laughs) The first question is, how do we correctly define worldliness from a biblical perspective? So, the Bible defines the world as the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the flesh include things like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, licentiousness. That's a great word. That is a great word. Michael loves that word. <laughs> since, the just, it, since the day you used it, since the day you used it, I'd like to say it just rolls off the tongue, but it doesn't really. Yeah. No, it's very licentious of you. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, licentious, uh, and things like these. Um, so. That covers like a lot of territory, and it seems to me that these are manifestations of heart problems. So if your heart is astray, if your heart is, if you've embraced wickedness and corruption in your heart, that you would manifest these kinds of behaviors. So we might be getting to something that, something like the world or worldliness is a condition of your heart such that you are being obedient to the flesh, to the corruption inside of you over against obedience to the Spirit of God. That's kind of where we can start. And then you can tell me what you guys think about worldliness and the world. You know, just as like a preamble to this, the reason why we're talking about this is because in the Christian church, there's there's a lot of confusion about worldliness and what is worldly. I mean, I've even heard people point to the creation as like worldliness. And so it seems to me that the misunderstanding of worldliness, of this idea of worldliness, is where holier-than-thou, hyper-judgmental Christians are born, oftentimes. Uh, they're born of this misunderstanding. So I have a lot of thoughts on uh, on probably your second question, but as far as like the question that you just asked of how do we view this biblically, I think what you just mentioned is right on. I mean, you talked uh, from Galatians 5, right? Like that's the works of the flesh is technically what is therefore worldly. Um, even Jesus talks about like the whole worldliness versus godliness. We get that from, uh, John 17 with, uh, Jesus praying and, uh, he's praying to the father. Like that's the longest recorded praying of Jesus in John 17. And he's praying to God. And, um, he basically is saying like, Hey, I'm not of the world. Thank you for these guys that you've given me. They're not of the world. Um, just as I am not of the world. And so like, we kind of, like being in the world and not of it, that phrase uh, comes from that particular scripture. But there's nowhere in scripture that says, ye must be in the world and not of it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't say that anywhere, but it does say all the time um, in, in 
in number in a number of places to uh, you know flee the desires of the flesh to uh, to say um, the message version in James says say aloud no to the devil like does it no really? yeah it say does <laughs> it's pretty awesome so like <laughs> it says say aloud no to the devil and that's in James four and it says but say a quiet yes to God and come close to him and he'll come close to you and like mm. you know uh, it's 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 counted all that or it's uh, it's it, we can count righteousness as being right with God in trusting Jesus. And that's the truth in the Bible. But in order to not be quote unquote worldly, we must also be aware, I think from a biblical standpoint of is our flesh taking over our spirit. Mm. And if we're operating in the flesh constantly, then that would be um, a sense of worldliness. We would be in the world and of the world and partaking in the world essentially. So yeah, that's so, kind of my take on the biblical perspective of it. So maybe worldliness is almost like something we practice because the fear is if we, if we don't define worldliness properly, we'll put ourselves in a situation where we aren't sharing the gospel amongst sinners because we are too terrified to go amongst sinners or we're not mm. going in, we're not going into places which are worldly and we end up being cloistered in our churches and not reaching out, not trying to build relationships and those sorts of things. And we want to avoid that, but at the same time, we don't want to associate with people who are giving into the flesh so regularly and consistently that they become the company we keep and that that rubs off on us to where we start behaving mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. way. So we could say then that it's less about where you are and more about your capacity to resist temptation. Do you think that would be accurate? So the scripture talks about often that God is in the business, um, Colossians in particular, of, of reconciling all things to himself, right? Um, and part of our job as Christians, I think, is in the little pockets of the world that we find ourselves in with our hobbies and interests and work and stuff like that, that we do just that. Like, the things that you enjoy in life that might be, be considered worldly, it's like, how do we reconcile those things, right? Because when God created everything in the beginning, it was all as it should be, right? the world was as it should be, which means all the things that we enjoy, part of the problem with the fall was that we started taking all of the things that were as they should be, which also means in the right pecking order, um, so to speak, and we made them not that. So we took commerce, which is a good thing, and we made it into a god. Um, and we took sex, which is a good thing, and we made it into a god. And we took relationships, which are a good thing inherently, and we made them into gods, right? We took other people and we made them into gods, right? And our job is to reconcile all of those things as part of that, right? So, you know, what does that mean with art and music and and um, pop culture and whatever it is? It's like we find ourselves in these things, right? So how do we go about the business of influencing the culture in such a way that it too is reconciled? Flash, the next question that comes from that is, is there anything in culture that just cannot be reconciled I think is a question that kind of comes mm -hmm. out of that naturally right also I love the word that you, I love that you use the word cloister I think mostly because <laughs> you guys in your words yeah, well it makes me words. think of Pokemon yeah the Pokemon called cloister yeah. and so I'm yeah. going to speaking remain. of actually things, Pokemon yeah, yeah. Exactly. so I, I was about to I say like I wasn't even allowed to watch Pokemon because it was demonic yeah man. exactly quote-unquote pocket monsters possible yeah. uh it was wow. demonic like my parents literally yep. were like same here. That's so okay. So I love your question. I want to get to that, but because of that right yeah. there, well, I want to ask. There, so I'm glad. I'm yeah, glad you I want to ask the question. What is something that, um, like, at least I know uh, you grew up in the church. Yeah. Like you grew up in like Christian family, Julia. Like you grew up in a Catholic family, mm -hmm. right? So uh, you said you did not grow up like in church as your background. And then Caleb, what did you do? Oh, like I was singing hymns in the uterus. Okay, so, so, oh. us four, that's awesome. Wow. <laughs> so, so, us four, we grew up in church and um, I feel like have a slightly different perspective on like worldliness. And so I would say like, what's the, like, what's the one thing or what's one thing that your parents wouldn't allow you to do yeah. as a ah. kid because it was super worldly? So, <laughs> I, I don't see... 
<laughs> I don't know that it's because it was worldly or because it was just considered quote unquote mean, but my siblings and I couldn't watch Rugrats as kids <laughs> because <laughs> Angelica said shut up to the babies and that wasn't nice. <laughs> I say shut up to my babies all the time. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. I was going to say, they yell at you. They, 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 yell, they yell at you. No. I just say be quiet. Yeah. Very sternly. Yeah, they don't, they don't like when you say stinking. That's a bad word. But we weren't allowed to watch that because she said shut up to the babies, and that wasn't nice. Now, would you consider that worldly? I don't consider that act like did your mom or dad ever tell you you can't watch this because of something that was demonic like that was always like the harry thing potter. for yeah like yeah. i wasn't oh, allowed i literally one. like I smuggled i smuggled harry potter's like the very first harry potter book i smuggled yeah. that in my backpack like to and from middle school so that i could read it <laughs> and funny. like didn't dare my mom almost caught me and so i didn't dare to read the rest of the books yeah. like for me a lot of that was like less <laughs> i think some of it was worldly but i think a lot of it was as I got older, my parents became more lenient with those types of things because I, I was at a point where I could discern for myself, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a book about fiction, not, like, how yeah. the world actually works, right? right? But as a kid, I couldn't tell that, you yeah. know? And so I wasn't allowed to watch Harry Potter as a kid for that very reason. But, you know, by the time I became a teenager in high school, my parents were like, who cares? Weird. Yeah, for me, it was more of, like, maybe not even, like, the explanation to me wasn't, like, this is demonic or this is sorcery this is witchcraft so like harry potter was oh it was free game uh halloween celebrating halloween was free game it was oh, more of like no. oh, not, yeah. in my, not in my house <laughs> really <laughs> yeah oh it was, it was free game. Like, nah, you better dress up like a bible character and go to the fall festival <laughs> yeah it's like what did your church do instead of halloween fall festival fall fest that's right oh yeah no my church did fall my festival. mom was in charge of <laughs> every halloween puppet party. ministry at a fall fest ever <laughs> Great. I, yeah, I dressed I was up like, as Jar Jar Binks, bro. Oh my gosh. I actually asked my dad one time, what's the difference between this fall festival and going to the block party for Halloween? And he's like, I don't know, son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, no, but for me, it was more of like, this is inappropriate and you shouldn't be watching this. It's a bad influence. More of like, yeah, it was the same for me. This is demonic. Yeah. Like, those weren't words that were tossed at yeah. me. Yeah, same Like, South Park was a yeah. no-go. Yeah. For me, well, it's just like, you think... can't watch. It's just, that's inappropriate. Right. It was this never like really... Yeah, well, yeah I wouldn't not watch that fun. now. So, yeah. right. just because right. of what I'm taking in is going to yeah. affect me in some way. Makes sense. Right. And another thing that was interesting is, as I look back over my childhood, I, I can see the development of my own parents in their faith, right? Mm-hmm. From going from a, I have to have kind of things black and white, otherwise I, I won't be able to serve the difference, mm-hmm. to like, by the time I became a teenager, and they've been Christians at that point for like 20 years, it's like, they they know how to have these types of conversations without just making yeah. know, big sweeping statements about things. And it was actually really cool to see that development yeah. over my childhood for things like that. I, don't I would agree with that, yeah. And bad, you just, it's, it, it makes it really easy to say, all of these types of things are good, and all of these types of things are bad right yeah because mm-hmm. you're it's, safe in that it's funny because my younger brothers not only got away with much more but were allowed to do much more mm-hmm. um yep. in the uh i would say like they were allowed to do much more in the terms of grace even like yeah or, or redemption or reconciliation like yeah. yeah that's okay like it's not a big deal like but for me it was like no, you better not do that. And so, you know, if my mom watches this, sorry, mom. But uh, one of the things was, like, uh, <laughs> drinking alcohol. Like, and it was always told, like, it wasn't talked about in my family. It was mm-hmm. just like, oh, if that if you drink alcohol, you're like, you're a bad person. Like, you obviously have a problem. Um, but then, like, I find out, like, after I've been married and moved out of the house, I find out that, like, my brother is becoming a sommelier at, like, 20 <laughs> and my dad's wow. driving him to this thing so that he can taste all these wines and then driving him yeah. back. And then I found out that uh, that my parents went on like a cruise and my mom likes mojitos. So I was like, what the heck? It's like, what is going on? But I mean, but like that even leads itself into the reconciliation yeah. thing of like, okay, yeah, drinking alcohol to get drunk is very against what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. However, the Bible doesn't say like that alcohol is the worst thing in the world and you should never do it, but it does say you better be wise with it. And so like wise who you're around. Yes. And wise Mm -hmm. who you're around with it. So Mm -hmm. like, it's all about being wise. It's not making these, I don't think personally, I don't think it's about making these black and white statements. I think it's a matter of how does this twist your heart? 
Mm. How does this impact your soul? And then what comes out of your heart from those different influences? Mm-hmm. You know, like I think that's I think that's the key of when we're looking at what's worldly versus what is not worldly in a sense. That's it. So what effect did that have that- on you guys? Just having that sort of upbringing. I mean, I didn't I didn't have my upbringing was. Uh, loving and it reflected biblical values but we didn't know that they were biblical values like we weren't making the association Mm. um so there wasn't much there wasn't as strict of control over things on television or whatever it was or movies i'm just curious if you think that it was a positive or like a net negative to have that kind of control over you as you're developing into an adult because here's something to think about I don't know if we run into a problem sheltering kids from what's real in the world so much so that they aren't aware that those dangers and those risks are out there by the time they become adults. And so I don't know when it's right to start exposing people to the reality of things in the world, you know, for their own well-being so that they can handle those things better. Mm -hmm. Because if, if we're sheltered, in, all the way into adulthood, and then we go out into the world, and the world is not. It can make us feel like we've been betrayed because we can think our bubble looks a certain way, right. and we can think that the world is better than it actually is. And then when we go out into the world, I mean, I had this experience, and I was I wasn't even raised in the church. Like I, I thought that because I had a loving home, I thought most homes were loving homes, and then I found out that that's not the case. That right. that there's a, a lot of dysfunction and toxicity and that sort of thing in the world, and it hurt my worldview to, to see that, you know, mm-hmm. it, it made me feel in some sense, like reality itself had betrayed me or that I was doing something fundamentally wrong. Mm-hmm. And that kind of had a, a negative impact on me because I thought, okay, well, if I was, if I was good and I was exposed to, to, to the good in life growing up, and then I go out into the world and I try to be good and I'm met with wickedness or I'm met with dysfunction and it's more common than it's not, at least in the spheres that I was uh, running around in. Um, it made me think I was doing it wrong. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, if, if biblical, if good is going to cause me pain, largely because I was in places where good wasn't the prevailing wind in the zeitgeist or in the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, so there was some conflict there. I thought, okay, well, if good isn't going to get me where I, where I need to be with my well-being, then let's try bad. Let's try wickedness. Let's try what, what these other people are doing. And I think that if I had known a little bit more about the wickedness of the world, that I would have been better able to deal with it whenever it directly impacted me. Um, so I don't know if that, do you, do you think that that effect is exaggerated? on behalf of you guys because of growing up in the church? Do you think that there were things about the world that you didn't know about until you became an adult? And then you thought to yourself, well, why didn't my parents tell me about this? Why didn't the church tell me about this? Like, how, why wasn't I prepared for this? Did are that, we, did that, you have that so effect? Are we including taxes or no? <laughs> <laughs> if so, that's yes. <laughs> so you were talking about how you kind of made the path for your siblings. They got away with more. Mm-hmm. I'm on the, the other end of that. I'm the youngest of four. And I feel like when I was growing up, you know, my, my parents had um, enforced, that's kind of a strong word, um, these biblical values and, you know, what was important, what was good, what was not. But seeing and knowing that, oh, my siblings couldn't, they weren't allowed to watch this, but I, at their age, when they couldn't, I can watch it, or this and that, these little things here and there, I started to see more and more what I could get away with, and then I started to really get my own worldview and understand what was good and bad, not only from a biblical perspective, perspective but from my own just human perspective and I feel like if I hadn't have um if I feel like if I didn't grow up the youngest with more freedom then I there would be things where I would have been like man why why wasn't I taught this um because growing up I I learned a lot from my own experience and whether that was good or bad um 
I learned myself and it wasn't something that was um, taught to me and not really explained, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Because I feel like when, now I'm not a parent, so I don't really know, but when you, you know, teach these values and biblical principles to your kids, um, there are some parents that will just be like, hey, this is good, this is bad, like, you know, black and white, and they won't really talk much about it again. And then it's like, well, I just know this is good, I know this is bad, or then they'll start to try and explore for themselves. Yeah, I think it causes you to question, right? Like the answer, like even I see this in my own kids' mind, is like, is the consequence worth doing whatever I want to do, right? Like can I just go ahead and do this and the consequence be worth it? Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, I know my dad said not to do that thing, but I don't understand why, so I'm going to do it anyways, right? Like, uh, for instance, uh, my youngest even, he's a year and a half old, (laughs) and he unplugs the internet every single day. Like, every stinking day, that boy unplugs the internet. And I can tell him no all the time. And he, even in his little baby mind, he understands that he's not supposed to do it. But he doesn't understand why and why it's so annoying. Mm -hmm. So he keeps doing it. Mm -hmm. Right. But my older kids... (laughs) who used to also unplug the internet, now understand the annoyance of unplugging the internet mm-hmm. and they don't do it because they understand the reasoning why behind it. And now that required some maturity on their part to learn why. Um, but I view it in that way, like kind of putting your uh, your question and your statement together is like for me, I think that <clears throat> when you when you are, when you're teaching your kids or when I was being taught, like the the why behind um, mm. don't do this or don't do that. Yeah. I, yeah. Whether I, whether it was explained to me or not, it might have been, but I just didn't get it, I guess. Yeah. Like, or mm-hmm. it just wasn't explained one way or another. I'm not going to throw my parents under the bus because they did a great job. To this point now, though, I would say that, and this is God's grace, is that even though they ne- might not have told me exactly why, mm-hmm. like, why can't I listen to secular music? Or like, why can I only listen to, uh, <laughs> why can I only listen to classic mm-hmm. rock with my dad? And that's okay. But listening to <laughs> stuff like this, you know, that's not Christian rock. Uh, that's not Christian. That exactly. Like, my <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so like the, the, the why behind the what wasn't quite explained. And so what I ended up doing is I ended up learning through, uh, trying to figure out why. Like, hmm. why don't we get drunk before, uh, or why don't we get drunk at all? Like, uh, well, there's a reason why, because it sucks. Like, yeah. you drink too much, and it sucks the next day, or you make really stupid decisions. And I had to go through that process. And, um, you know, I, my dad dealt with alcoholism when he was younger, and I wish that he would have told me more stories, mm-hmm. like bad stories, about yeah. what yeah. happened mm-hmm. with his alcoholism, because that might have helped me have an understanding. Right. I know my younger brothers, especially my middle one um there are some things he does not do and will not do one of which is drinking alcohol because of my mistakes and my youngest brother's mistakes and he will not drink alcohol Mm -hmm. uh to the point of drunkenness because of that like he just meh i'm out that doesn't sound fun to me like i see the problem with that like and so i think that if we if if i was to be uh, uh to answer your question i do see a major correlation to what I rebelled against versus what my parents told me was worldly or not. And it had nothing to do with Pokemon, but like, (laughs) um, like, uh, but music, (laughs) yeah, music was huge for me. And like going out to parties and stuff like that. Like I was always told, no, you can't go out to like, I Mm. mean, I was the stereotypical starting quarterback of the football team. Like I was invited to parties all the time, but I wasn't allowed to go. And so that made my friend circle really small and made me feel like a weirdo. Like, I was like, why can't I go do these things? Mm-hmm. And there was never an answer. Well, bad things happen there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah but, but why? Like, maybe I can trust myself. And I couldn't have. Like, my parents knew better than me. But I just wish there was more of that explanation. Yeah. And yeah. I, I hope that in raising my kids, I will make a plethora of mistakes. But I am going to try my best to have an explanation behind the why. Because yeah. I know for sure my middle son... He will not listen to me unless I tell him why. So, like, I'm going to have to give him the reason why of this is a bad idea or this is not really lining up with biblical values. And these are the reasons why we believe those things. So, yeah, I think the why is so important and it's often overlooked or it's not 
gone far enough into detail. Mm-hmm. Like you like you said, well, why can't I go to this party? Oh, well, bad things happen. Well, mm-hmm. that could be anything. A, a, a train could mm-hmm. fly through the house. Yeah. Like, yeah. literally anything. <laughs> a train. A train. Not only, not only can a train roll through the house, that bad boy can fly through the house. <laughs> what kind of parties are you going to? <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking. <laughs> I was, thinking, I was thinking it's going like 500 mile an hour. Like, Can you just man, imagine a big old Thomas the Tank Engine face busting through and it's just googly eyes going back and forth. Bro, the amount of memes I've seen of that. I digress. That's a scary party. You're right. Bad yeah. things can happen. But like, you need to go far enough into detail where it's like, oh yeah, I shouldn't do that. But not far enough where it's like scarring. Yeah. Like if I knew the, if I knew the consequences, I'm sorry for real quick. No, if I knew, so for those of y'all who don't know my whole story, at least part of it was that I had a son when I was 17 years old, and had I like I knew that having sex before I got married could lead mm-hmm. to STDs, STIs, and nowadays I don't even know why it changed, but STDs. <laughs> um, it could lead to uh, and it could lead to having a kid. Those are basically the two reasons why I knew don't have sex before yeah. you're married. Mm-hmm. I wasn't told about soul ties. Mm-hmm. I wasn't told about how much it would completely wreck my inner being yeah. or my mm-hmm. soul. I wasn't told about how much that it's going to hurt if you do have a kid and you can't raise him, mm-hmm. how much that's going to hurt when yeah. you're 33 years old. Like, if I would have known those things and those consequences, like, I'm not saying I would have made different choices. What I'm saying is I would have had a better understanding I think Mm -hmm. I don't know that it would have changed my choices I'm not gonna be prideful as to say well if they would have told me like no I wouldn't Mm -hmm. do that I still make stupid mistakes absolutely Mm -hmm. but I wish that there was that explanation of that Mm -hmm. sorry that's all no you're good I also like to think that if I would have been told exactly why that it would have changed my decisions and I'm not sure I was on the flip side a little bit where like there were rules in my house but like secular music was allowed was never really a problem uh, Halloween was allowed. SpongeBob was allowed. Pokemon probably would have been allowed, but I wasn't into it because I was, was one of four girls. But I vividly remember I was dating somebody who I probably shouldn't have been at the time, and he was a big party goer, right? And I had never been to parties before. And my parents came to me and said, "Well, why don't you go to one?" And I was like, "Because I don't think that's a good idea. Bad things happen there." They're like, "How do you know?" How do you know bad things happen there? Why don't you go see, like, what this person's like in this setting? See what this lifestyle is? And I was like, well, that's that's not really for me. Like, I don't think I want to get into that. They're like, okay, then just continue to see this one side of this person. And you can keep, like, blinding yourself until you recognize that. And it was odd because I was the first child, too. So, like, I was the example setter, right? Mm-hmm. And my parents are coming to me saying, like, why don't you try this out? Like, why why don't you give it a look? If these are the people that you're going to hang around, but, you know, be somewhat a part of it, somewhat not, somewhat worldly, somewhat not. And I didn't even, like, but that, that freedom made me not really want to do it, which is odd. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I, there were rules, there were curfews. But, like, when it came to college, I got into a little bit of a drinking stage with teammates just because the, you know, the school weeks were rigorous. They were crazy. And then the weekends, <clears throat> you know, you try to go have that fun that I was told, why don't you go check it out? And I was like, I knew this wasn't worth it. But, like, I I never had that, you absolutely cannot, don't you dare. Because I, I would have snuck out, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Like, any, any type of really <laughs> strict... Um, boundaries or rules made me want to rebel but as soon as my parents opened it up and were like well why why don't you go check it out why don't you go check out these raves i'm like i don't don't know if i want to do that it's almost like taking away the like oh but you can't yeah it it almost doesn't like i I don't know for me then it became not as attractive and it was like that's reverse psychology at its (laughs) finest but i thankfully figured out the whys on my own a little bit by the grace of God and with good people around me and just choosing to be in the right place rather than the bad place. But it's interesting because I've seen a lot of world because of that, fell into the world a little bit because of that, and then got back on track, thank God. Caleb, is your foot hitting the table? 
Oh, it probably is, yeah. Still thinking about the train coming uh, through. Yeah. So, <laughs> Caleb's <laughs> freaking out over here because um, <laughs> Thomas, is, <laughs> Thomas <laughs> is on his way. <laughs> For Thomas sure. Oh, man. I heard this analogy once. I don't remember who it was or who I was listening to or whatever it was, but they're talking about raising children, and the ideal way to raise children is make them aware that there are snakes out there going to come to bite you in the heel, right? Right. Um, and when they're young and can't do anything about them, protect them so that they, you know, don't get bit by the snakes. Um, but at some point, they're going to be off on their own. So you don't want to just protect them all the time where they have no skills on how to defend themselves from snakes, but give them a club so that they can defend themselves from snakes, right? And, like, give mm -hmm. them the whys so that they yeah. know how to make these decisions for themselves, right? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think that's, like, where this... And one thing I was grateful to my grandmother and my father and my mother um, was that a lot of those scriptural whys um, they instilled in me so that I had a club, so to speak, to beat the snakes. So to speak. I don't know why I'm using this analogy. But, um, <laughs> you know, to be able to defend myself, right? And I still made a plethora of dumb decisions. Mm. A plethora of dumb decisions, <laughs> if you're uh, more British. Um <laughs> I don't think we have anyone really British watching. It'd be awesome if we did. If we did, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, that's not yeah. I would say that. It is, yes. Sorry, <laughs> but it's like that. The, those whys are the uh, your ability to defend yourself from the things that you might not see, or the things that might come in and blindside you, like a train. Yeah. So, do you think that this uh, failure to teach the why, or this breakdown of the why, is coming from? Uh, you know, because I had sort of the same experience. Like, I, I knew what not to do. My parents mm -hmm. taught me what not to do. But I was sort of an arrogant teenager, and I wanted to find out whether I could get away with it. And I actually mm -hmm. believed I could get away with a lot of the things, you know. And I didn't realize the whys until, you know, experience taught me. And so <coughs> my question is, do you think that this failure to teach the why to kids is because the parents are selfishly trying to maintain their innocence or maintain are they confusing naivety with innocence in the sense that like well I don't so here's here's a good example inside the church it's not uncommon to see the the story of Noah's flood depicted as a cartoon it's like that's a horrible story right. you know that's a terrifying story everyone died but four people <laughs> right. you know and so to turn that into a cartoon I understand the reasoning like you don't like Tanner said you don't want to scar someone <clears throat> Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you don't voluntarily expose people to the reality of things on the ground, then they're going to be unprepared when they go out, and then they're going to get scarred, mm -hmm. possibly permanently, because they won't have a philosophy for good and evil. So they won't believe that evil exists, and then when they run into someone who's evil, it'll fracture their worldview, and they'll end up with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. You know, and like, that's, that's just a no-go. Well, let me know? speak and, to it from a parent's perspective. Because, I mean, I'm the only parent. So, like, ever. I think, yeah, That's I'm the it. only one. Ever, ever in the whole world. <laughs> well, as far as you, how do you know. feel? <laughs> no, um, extraordinary footage. So, no, like, <laughs> for, for me, I mean, I think that there is, you, you have to, your explanation of things has to grow with your kids. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, when I'm reading the bedtime Bible stories to my kids and I get to Samson, I'm right. like... Man, like, if I could really tell you all this story, like, looking at my son, Cannon. Cannon, don't be messing around with the woman that you're not supposed to be messing around with that's trying to manipulate you because... Your eyes will be Like, yeah, it will be bad. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't you let that girl cut your hair. No. Right. But, like, but it could be, from a, from a kid's perspective, it could be boiled down to that. I read the Bible right. story of Samson. Ah, uh, I, if I want to be strong, I better not cut my hair. Or if I want to be strong, I better listen to God. Like, and that's kind of like, it could happen. But if you were to figure out a way to dive slightly deeper past the cartoonish nature of, mm -hmm. hey, this is about obedience to God. This is about, uh, there's a lot of little nuances in this story that basically teach you, like, be careful who you uh who you make friends with, be mm -hmm. careful who you're in relationship with, be careful of, of, uh, when someone's trying to manipulate you and, you know, like, cause Delilah was pretty manipulative. Like mm -hmm. basically she kept whining and crying until Samson was like, fine, this is the reason why we <laughs> shut up. So, um, read the story, Jen judges. Um, 
but also, I think a lot of really other wild things happen in judges. Yes, also crazy things happen in judges. But like, if you if you look through the biblical why, right? Yeah. Like, there are stories in the Bible that basically describe all of the almost all of the craziness that could go on in the human yeah. condition. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got daughters sleeping with their dad to right. make a whole like country you know like this is not okay these are bad things like like, these are very bad things and that's boiling down the story but i I mean (laughs) it is a lot it's also a lot uh (laughs) (laughs) okay i don't want to get off the rails here uh i don't want to become thomas a tank engine so but what i'm saying is like a lot of times we we try to and this will bring me away from my kids away from the young younger kids. When they are teenagers, I do not want to dumb down the Bible to them. Right. I want to give them the nitty-gritty of the Bible because the Bible is not it it, it is 100% God's like it's about God reconciling man to himself. That is what the entire Bible is about, but it is also a book, a collection of books about the human condition mm-hmm. yep. and about how Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is so deceitfully sick that no one knows how evil right. it is. Yeah. That is what the Bible is about. If you read, especially in the Old Testament, about right. how jacked up the human condition is. And if we could get past the, oh, don't watch that cartoon because of this. And, oh, you better be careful of, yeah. you know, following this person mm-hmm. like uh, this girl, Jojo, Jojo Siwa. Is that her name? Jojo Siwa. The, the bow lady. I don't know why I'm asking you like you know. It's for like little girls. Yeah. Uh, sorry. So like girls like around, I don't know, 10 to 6. My daughter's 6 years old. I know she has friends who like 10. This girl named Jojo Siwa, she's actually like 18 years old, but she looks and acts like she's 12. Um, and she's on YouTube. She's like majorly famous. She actually has a line of bows um, at like Walmart and uh, freaking uh, Claire's and all the, like all these places the little girls go to and that I go to because I have a little oh, girl. Oh, bows like yeah, not, <laughs> yes, not like bows, not Katniss bows, no, like, like legit a bow. No, like okay, so um, my daughter loves JoJo Siwa. Well, two weeks ago she comes out and she says that she is. I don't even remember the exact term for it, so forgive me. But uh, basically, that she is um, she is like uh, sexually fluid. So um, she's bisexual, but not really bisexual, whatever the next. I think they call that gender fluid. Well, no, it's not gender fluid. It's like the next level of bisexual. Like it doesn't matter whoever, whenever, however, basically is the way that she views it. Probably. Um, so the way that she the way that she says is like she has a best friend that she's grown up with that she's attracted to. And so now this is her girlfriend. But that doesn't mean that she's going to be a girlfriend in the future and that she's always lesbian. It doesn't matter. Like, and so this girl who I believe is 18 years old is an influence on my daughter who's six years old. Mm-hmm. Now, do I want to tell her, you can't watch Jojo Siwa anymore. Like you better not watch that. Like she doesn't know one way or another and she could love her and like think that she's the most crazy, awesome thing in the world. There is going to come a time at some point where I say, Hey, just so you know, her views do not line up with biblical views in the views of this household. That doesn't mean we hate her. And that doesn't mean we say, you know, we don't cancel her because of that. We just have an understanding that we don't agree with all the same things. You want to watch her show and have fun with their songs, then fine. Like her songs don't say anything about it. I'm okay with that. But I'm also want to go the extra mile and say, but that doesn't mean just because we enjoy somebody's music that we also condone their lifestyle or also right. condone whatever's going on in their heart. Because there's plenty of artists that I love to listen to that I would never want to hang out with. Like, but I like their art, right? Yeah. And so I think that's the key is like not drawing this hard black and white because what it's led to, honestly, what it has led to the idea of in the world, not of it. And you said this is, is hyper um, holiness, essentially like yeah. that. I'm holier than you because I don't do these things. And so therefore you're the one going to hell and that sucks for you. And you're, you know, SOL basically like that's what that's what this kind of mindset can lead to mm-hmm. if we don't properly uh, have or if we don't have a proper context of yeah. in the world, but not of the world, right. if you want to use that. So like, 
speaking yeah. from a parent's perspective and a pastoral perspective, I would say I want people to know the reality right. of the world in which we live in, to know the reality of of good and evil, to know the reality of the human condition and, you know, God's redemption. If we can understand the reality of that stuff, then all this is contextualized for us and makes it honestly a lot easier to live free. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, this is quick. It's just so confusing whenever you tell kids, like, this is bad, this is wrong, and then and then you don't know the why, because then you spend you spend your adulthood trying to figure out why, until you mm-hmm. do figure out why, and you yeah. could have saved a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and been way closer to God if, you would hope, if the why was just well, well explained, and then, like, deeply rooted into decision making. Yeah, if you don't, unless you increase the resolution on the admonition to stay away from something so like if it's okay don't watch don't watch this show it's like well why well i'm not gonna tell you why i'm just gonna tell you not to watch the show a you run into the situation where you try to find out why as an adult and b you get conditioned to make mountains out of molehills when it comes to holiness right Mm -hmm. you know like well i might be forming an addiction to alcohol but that's okay because i don't watch harry potter yeah, like you know what I mean. You, <laughs> right. you, you flip the, right. the more yeah. serious problems with the ones that are just easier to nitpick, and I think yeah. that's what I think of when I think of holier than thou types, whitewashed tombs. You know, like Pharisees, they're mm-hmm. getting the major things wrong, but that's okay because they're getting the minutia right, and they use that uh, that idea of okay, well. I stayed away from all the things that cultural Christianity told me to stay away from. So therefore it's okay that, you know, I'm a terrible husband or a terrible father or whatever it is. Like, you know, it's okay that I have all of these deeper sins because I still look good on the outside because I'm getting these easy things. Right. And I think that that's what sets people up to think that way. Whenever, whenever the, whenever their moral system is based off of staying away from things without knowing why they're staying away from them, because it's not that, Harry Potter is intrinsically dangerous to you. It's that there might be something in Harry Potter that wants you to become enamored with the occult or with sorcery. But mm-hmm. you don't you never arrive at that understanding if you just say don't watch Harry Potter. It right. just makes you sound like a like it's just not I don't think it's good. And so that leads us so. <laughs> Right, yeah. An yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that leads into like practice what you preach thing and you know, do as I say, not as I do and all the hypocrisy that attends mm-hmm. something like a Pharisee or a holier than thou type. Um, and I don't think it's an accident that Jesus called them hypocrites. Um, so that leads us into our next question, which is are all activities that the church has deemed worldly off limits for Christians? And where should we draw the line? Mm-hmm. And are we missing opportunities to share the gospel because of puritanical understandings of right and wrong? So can you imagine a situation like an outreach program or something that you could try to do, um, but that Christians in general are afraid to do because they don't want to be looked down on by the church, mm-hmm. even though biblically there's nothing really like, for instance, Jesus dining with sinners, right. you know, I was my friend started a bar church. Uh, I was just going to say that, too. And, you know, a lot of people were like, well, you can't do that. And he's like, says who? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, the Bible. And was like, where? <laughs> you know, because the, the, those, those folks were coming with this because I said so attitude without ever having anything to back it up. And mm-hmm. it's like, right. the Bible doesn't say anything about that, right? And they've been successful in ways that that church that they came out of never was, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, they're getting people to Jesus. Like, that's great. What was the last time that church did, you know? Yeah. And that's not, well, actually, it is. I would say that's not to criticize the other church. But actually, it kind of is, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I think a lot of times the church has mislabeled <coughs> things that it never should have as worldly, as mm-hmm. something you shouldn't do as opposed to an opportunity to advance the gospel. Right. right. Um, because it's dangerous to go to bars, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't go. Right? Yeah. You should be wise about the way that you go. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> I've even told some of the people here in this room, like, I think it'd be awesome if United, there's a lot of hoops to jump through about this, uh, but if United had a group of people, an outreach team, that went to parties at IUP. Like, literally only for the only for the so point of, yeah, <laughs> only for the point of making relationships. Right. <clears throat> like, of building relationships amongst those parties that maybe at some point you can, well, one, you can live Jesus in front of them, and two, 
maybe at some point you can actually invite them to a church or invite them to a group mm-hmm. or invite them to accept Jesus for themselves. Like, you know, and that doesn't mean we go and we partake in the party, in the craziness of the party. Right. Right. And that also doesn't mean that I send someone by themselves out to a party and be like, hey, go reach this person. Or right. in like a like, suit and tie <laughs> with a, have you heard of our <laughs> Yes, but like, I, re- I genuinely think, man, that could revolutionize evangelism, if you will, on campuses, if there was a way to do that. And and there is a way to do it. There's a lot of checks and balances that go, that would have to go into that. But man, I would love to do that. You know how many people would hate that? Like, you know how many churches would be like, no, at least four. (laughs) True. Then the question comes down to like, how do you do the work of Jesus in finding the lost if you're never among them? And it's not like the lost is going to come stumbling into a church whenever they have all these preconceived ideas about what a church is and how far gone they are and how much wrong they've done. Like, how do you expect to even come close to spreading the gospel, to baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and, you know, making God's name known? How do you do that among the lost if if you never put yourselves among them? Yeah. Now, there's different ways to do that, though. Right. Like, being amongst the lost doesn't mean you have to go to parties. Exactly. Uh, that is one way That's to do it. That's kind of an extreme, but... Yeah, so, like, you know, I, I have been around people, um, pastors, Christians in general, that would say, like, especially pastors or leaders in the church, they would be like, well, I'm here, and this is what, like, my ministry is at the church, and I'm equipping the saints, the congregation, the people who come to church. I'm equipping them to go out into their workplaces and to go out in their social circles, and then they can reach other people. Um, But whereas I like that model to some degree, I agree with you. Like, we have to be in the midst of of where the lost are. You know, we have to be where unbelievers are, Mm -hmm. or we cannot call ourselves disciples of Christ, because that's literally what they did. Like, that's, I mean, even if you look at Paul, like, he would go to the town square and just start preaching. Now, I'm not saying that you should go to the corner of Philly (laughs) Street and start preaching, you probably get honked at, and I'm not sure you would reach many people. That was a contextual thing right, back then, right. right? And so, like, I think you're absolutely right. How can you even look like Jesus and do the ministry and the work without putting yourself where other people are? doesn't mean you put yourself in a compromising situation, though. Right. So what do we do with the argument? Like, let's look at it on the flip side where people people, I'm just saying, generally, would make the argument maybe, oh, well, like, Jesus did that because he was fully divine and fully human was able to put himself in those scenarios like how can you trust that you won't uh you know slip into sin yourself well jesus how do we argue that jesus said to his disciples that you should be shrewd as serpents and harmless of, as doves why because i'm sending you into the midst of wolves mm-hmm. and so if you're doing ministry and you're not in the midst of wolves are you really doing ministry right you know are you are you reaching out to people for Christ? Are you engaging in the Great Commission and that sort of thing? And I actually think that, uh, and this gets into our sort of our last topic, which is kind of a deep one, might possibly be controversial, but Ooh. you know, uh, how can a working understanding of godlessness reinforce our ministry or our witness? Are there ways that we can expand our own understanding of godlessness without becoming godless ourselves? Because if you look at Moses mm-hmm. was a murderer, yeah. Joshua was a conqueror, Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Like these, these people by our standards today probably would have been in prison, mm-hmm. yet they were doing God's work. Right. And it's like, I just think that we run into trouble if we think that Christians must be naive to evil in order to be effective. I think that's actually the opposite. Right. I think that if we are naive to evil, not only will be will we be ineffective, but we'll set ourselves up for disaster. We'll set ourselves up to feel like we've been betrayed by God whenever we've done all the right things and things and someone still dies or something still ends. And you'll feel like, okay, well, I was a good Christian and it didn't work out, so God must have betrayed me. And mm-hmm. these these sorts of things are are so damaging. They're worldview transformational. And the groundwork for that kind of upheaval is set at childhood, is set in your upbringing. That's why children are so susceptible to trauma, because they haven't had a developed worldview yet. They haven't had time to develop their worldview. So if they're abused or they're hurt at a very young age, they don't know how to frame it. 
So they don't know how to understand it. And if you don't know how to understand it, then your body and your brain is going to, that it's not going to let you go until it is convinced that you won't allow that same thing to happen to you again, or that you won't fall into that same ditch again. It will stay with you forever until you get that sorted out. And, you know, it's not like we can stop evil from happening altogether, but man, we can put on armor. Like we can, what's, is it, is it, what's the better way to make a safe, a safe world? Is it to make a safe world? Is it to make the world safer? Or is it to develop individuals who are competent enough to navigate a dangerous world successfully? That was a bad snap. That's a good question. Both. I think it's both. <clears throat> right? Like, our job as Christians is to put on that armor so that you can navigate it. But we are called to make it better. <clears throat> so it's both, right? And at the end of all things, it will be made better. And yeah. that's what we're trying to do in the process while we get, like, we're not there yet, but we're shooting for there, right? Mm-hmm. And so part of, like, like I think what, for example, that bar church that my friend started that made it successful was, like, he has normalized the idea that bars are not devoid of God, right? And that's a, that is a good thing, right? Now people don't associate bars as total hell pits. Like, this is a place where God can reside, too. And if we got yeah. more and more places where people realize God can be there, too, um, like, we do start to make the world a little bit better. But in those moments where, you know, I have to imagine when... Israelite families were raising their children and, you know, they're telling stories because they didn't have the Bible yet. They told the story of great-great-great-great-grandpa David and how he raped someone and murdered his wife, or husband, her husband. There we go. Those are all the right pronouns. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, like, they told that story, right? They told the story of Gideon. They told the story of Lot. They told the story of Abraham. They told the story of Noah. They told the story of Moses and all of their flaws and all of their glories, right? Um, For that very reason, because they want to make sure that you aren't so naive as to thinking these things won't happen to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a both end, I think. I, I think that's yeah. I, I, that's a really good point. I mean, you can think of like the question that I posed the other day at one of our um, uh, freedom. It was like a freedom small group. Um, was the idea of how do you cause less, like how do you cause less issues? Say, in terms of like fatal car accidents, is it more seatbelts or is it drivers who are trained to crash crash less often? And the evidence is crystal clear that seatbelts pulls back a lot on mortality. And so that's that's making the world better. It's making the world safer. And the automobile indi- industry resisted seatbelts for a long time, even though the data was very obvious on that point. But it's also the case that we can't say, oh, well, we have seatbelts now, so we're, we're good. We don't need to train. We don't need to drive carefully. We don't need to drive mm-hmm. defensively. We don't right. need to have those sorts of issues. And like, even when you think about Christ-likeness, I think a lot of people think of Jesus as some sort of anemic hippie. You know, and it's, I think that it, it is the case that... Oh. Why anemic? <laughs> He's frail. Yeah, okay. chilly. Frail. He's like, better, better. Yeah. Well, Bro, he, Jesus was jacked. He, he's the lamb of God, but he's also the lion of <laughs> At Judah. At least his hammer hand. Yeah. And we, even with our own superheroes, the people that, that, the archetype of the superhero in our movies, in our TV shows, even in with law enforcement soldiers, all of those people are heroes, but they're also killers. They have to kill bad people. And look, we're not, I'm not advocating for that sort of heroism, but it is the case that it is the case that to be Christ-like means to have, have the capacity to do damage and choose not to, to have the short sword and to keep it sheathed because you love your enemy, because you love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. That's not the same thing as, as believing that you're incapable of doing wickedness. Like, if you think that you're right. just incapable of evil or incapable of doing wickedness, you're just weak. Like, you're a prey animal. You know, you're not, like, it, it, that's, not, that's not moral virtue or moral courage at all. Moral courage is knowing, yes, I could do this. I could be evil. I could be wicked. I'm going to choose to pull back from that. I'm going to choose to resist it. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different <clears throat> thing than just believing that you're... You know, you're a good person. Right. Yeah. For me, this this question that you're asking really is at the center at the center of the answer to this question is the gospel. Like to me, if you are a full on believer and a receiver of the good news, I feel like you have to have an understanding of godlessness because you have to understand that you yourself are yeah. jacked. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. and I think Okay, I'm gonna say it. I think a lot of people who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior 
don't count the cost to how ungodly they are. Right. And so they continue to live the way that they've always lived. And they say, well, I've signed the check. I confess and I believed. So game over. I got my seatbelt on. I'm done. Right. Like, and, uh, you know, we have, I'm, I've got my fire insurance, right? Like, I think that you said that something uh, earlier, like I'm a fire insurance Christian. Well, I don't want to go to hell and Jesus sounds pretty good. And you're telling me all I got to do is confess and believe. Well, here we go. I'm going to do that. And then we don't actually live a life that has been transformed. So our hearts are not transformed. Our hearts are continually sick and continually jacked up. And then we wonder why our lives suck. And it's because, well, maybe we didn't actually confess and believe and and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us because we only confessed and believed so that we could skirt hell. We only confessed and believed so that we could look good. We didn't confess and believe because we realized I am... I am lost yeah. without God. One of my favorite uh, lines for from a um, a movie um, was, "Imagine you're overlooking Tatooine, and there's Mos Eisley down there in the corner, and Obi Wan is sitting next to you, and he says, you 'You'll never find such a wretched hive of scum and villainy, right? That's me. <laughs> yeah, I am the wretched hive of scum and villainy. I am a scummy, scummy person without Jesus.'" <laughs> Um, and like, that's the starting point. Right. And it's like, I, I have the capacity to be to David when he was the murderer and rapist. Mm -hmm. I have that capacity without Jesus. Yeah. So the reason why that leads though, to your, the answer of your question of like understanding godlessness and then that relating itself to getting away from worldliness or like really even, uh, deeming what is worldly and what is not is understanding your personal, your person, uh, your, 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 uh, personal morality and your personal ability to defeat temptation. <laughs> um, because if for you going to a bar is going to create an issue for you to where you are going to dive back into or dive into alcoholism mm-hmm. and that's going to lead to other issues, then stay away from bars. Right. Right. Don't go. Right. But that's a personal issue. Yeah. And so like, I think if we have an understanding of our own godlessness, yeah. Not the world around us, but if we look at ourselves and say, what do I suck at? (laughs) What is my propensity (laughs) in sin? And if I can understand that and know that the Holy Spirit wants to work in me, then my choice to do the right thing, my choice to stay away from worldliness, then is, is, uh, is the foundation of it is a transformed heart. Is God transformed? Right. I think one thing. Catholic Church gets a lot of things right, but they have a, a list of the seven deadly sins. There's wrath and lust and slothfulness and greed, uh, avarice, and um, there's seven of them. I can't remember what they all are. Um, and I think what those do well is they, they pre- provide a pretty good categorization of what generally people struggle with, mm-hmm. right? And I would say on average, and this is this is not in the Bible, this is just Caleb talking right now. On average, people usually struggle with, like, two or three of those things. But very rarely do you find someone who has problems with all of those things, right? Um, And it's, like, it's knowing that. Like, I know that I struggle with lust and slothfulness, right? But avarice, greed, um, and and wrath are really not things that, like, I I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm not tempted to steal something from a store. I'm usually, I don't get angry enough at people that I'm going to lash out at them in, in wrath. Like, that's not a problem for me. But it is for some. And for some, lust and slothfulness isn't a problem. And so you do have to be aware of your situational standards and, and mm-hmm. settings, right? Because you got to know your own proclivities for those types of things um, to say, yeah, I am a, a lazy guy, so if there's opportunity for laziness, I'm going to take it, right? As opposed to saying, like, I need to work hard. Um, or I am a greedy guy. So if there's an opportunity where I can be greedy and to the detriment of someone else, I, I need to know that, right? Um, just to go off kind of what you say, but those, those, those seven deadly sins kind of give us a good parameter for understanding those types of things, right? But not everyone, very rarely, like I said, do people struggle with all of them. Yeah, and that's a testament to the importance, like you guys said, of knowing your own brand of godlessness the way in which you are particularly bent toward godlessness and then not entertaining those things with the excuse of, well, they said to go be in the world and not of the world. You know, like that's because, you know, we, we also have uh, and we can wrap on this 
um, you know, we have scriptures that say bad company ruins good morals. Um, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Mm-hmm. Uh, leave the presence of a fool, leave the presence of a fool, uh, for there you do not find words of knowledge. So like even that, that last bit about just don't even be in their presence. Like we have to be yeah, careful. You guys have been hanging out with me for far too long. <laughs> <laughs> you know too many big words. No, no, to I'm be the a fool. fool. That's what no, I'm saying, saying to be the fool. You know way too many big oh. words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Think, I'm the fool. Hey, I think the proverbs also say foolish people talk way too much and over people's heads. So maybe that's not a good thing. So we can <laughs> the we can bind all of this. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. No, it's good. Um, we can bind all of this up for people listening in saying that you should not shelter yourself from the things which the church determines to be worldly, but to venture into that territory, know that you might be walking into a minefield depending on the ways in which you are bent toward wickedness mm-hmm. because it's different for everybody and people have different resiliencies, people have different temptations and you need to be wise about the places you put yourself, and that involves knowing yourself and your mm-hmm. own godlessness. So really the thing you want to avoid here is self-righteousness, because if you're self-righteous, you won't know in which way you are godless, right. and then you won't know which place to avoid, and then you'll run into a temptation, which is rather difficult. So mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to say it's about what we said earlier about me like teaching my kids or us teaching our kids like of the reasons why you don't do something i think it's also when you're looking at your form of godlessness or whatever if you don't know start to begin like ask yourself why am i doing these things yep. like you might say well yeah i don't get drunk to or i don't drink to just get drunk okay then why do you drink and if it's just like well I'm of age and this is like a cup of coffee to me or it's just like hanging out with friends and I just take one drink or two drinks and that's it and I like the taste, then that's between you and God and that's okay. But like to say, well, I don't really know why I drink. I drink because of the social pressure and like blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not okay. Like that would would be some sort of pride. Like that would be some sort of I'm trying to have this facade and I got to let these people know that I'm just as cool as they are. And like, so that's an issue. Drinking's the easy, that's the low hanging fruit. But like, Anything you do, have an answer to why. Mm. Why do you do these things? Yeah. You don't just jump into uh, the world. You don't just jump into the world just because Michael said, hey, it's okay to know like your, your own godlessness and like it's okay to kind of venture into that. No, you jump into that because really our one goal after, uh, after making sure like that we are you know, honoring God, our one goal is what Jesus told us to do and to go into the world, all of the world, and preach the gospel, make disciples. Like that is the, that's what we should be doing. So, you know, why would I, why would your friend start a, a bar in, or a church in a bar? Well, to reach a different people that weren't being reached. That's the reason. Not yeah. so that he could be the cool pastor that says, oh, I started a church in a bar. Like, yeah, he's a really lame guy too. So, Well, see, <laughs> so there you go. Like, and that's like, that's the reasoning. Like, why would I do this? Why would I wear this outfit? Why do I, you know, why, why do I have this friend group? Or why do I continue to binge on this show? Like, what is the reasoning behind these specific things? And I think yeah. if you understand that, you can understand... Your, your not level of godlessness, but your different areas yeah. of mm-hmm. where you're hurting and what holes you're trying to fill. And is there something that God can fill instead? I've said yeah. many times, like, I think that Ephesians talks about this, about, um, you know, don't, uh, don't be drunk on wine, but instead be like drunk in the spirit, yeah, right? The spirit. So um, be filled with the spirit. And the reason why I think is because whenever, I might've had this conversation with one of you guys on the couch, but whenever you drink to drunkenness, um, a lot of people do it for one of two reasons. One is uh, like, you just want to numb your feelings. You don't want to feel anything. And so you numb your feelings and then uh, you can kind of do whatever you want without any consequences. Uh, another one of the reasons this is not an exhaustive list, but another one of the reasons is to be more of who you are. Like I can be more free when I'm drunk because I'm more of a life of a party or like I'm, a, I'm more talkative or I'll go and talk to people or I'll do things that like I wouldn't normally do. And, and like, I think that the Holy spirit, <laughs> the Holy spirit, 
allows you to feel your feelings in a good way, in a positive way, in a healthy way, allows you to understand um, or allows you to have peace and allows you to have joy in the midst of grieving, in the midst of certain feelings. It allows you to experience full joy. Like, you know, people drink to celebrate and get drunk to celebrate. Well, man, the Holy Spirit allows you to be able to celebrate in a way that goes deeper than just cognitively, that goes actually into your spirit. The Holy Spirit makes you into the identity of who you really were created to be in Christ. So this whole like, well, I drink so that I can be more of who I was or whatever, like yeah. that doesn't matter. So the reason why I feel like drunkenness uh, and and the being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit are back to back there, uh, as Paul writes that, is because drunkenness is an impossible foster of what yeah. the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. Yeah. So like, that's why I say evaluate what the whole is, because if the whole is, I drink for these reasons, well, ask yourself, is it possible that the Holy Spirit could do that, could for, do you. that for you without uh, being a cheap imitation? Uh-huh. If, if I have a propensity to go sleep around, well, what's the whole there actually? Is it that I don't feel worth it? Is that I, I want to feel worth? Is it that I want to uh, feel in control? Is it, you know, is it that I just want to be loved? Well, maybe God can actually offer those things for you. And maybe that's not what you need to do. Like, do you, you know, cuss all the time and like you use your words for evil and not for good? Well, try to evaluate why. And could the Holy Spirit change you to where you can actually use your your words? Uh, but James talks about it again. James is a good book of the Bible, by the way. You should check it out. Um, James talks about like the fire is a tongue and can set ablaze a forest. I'm just preaching on that. Yeah. Actually but, out of the Proverbs. Well, there you go. So... I mean, these these things that we have a propensity to do or that we do in general in life, they they generally are filling some sort of a hole that God himself can and wants to fill. Mm -hmm. And so ask yourself why. And I would say like then it's not a question of, well, is this worldly or is this godly? And am I allowed to do this or am I not allowed to do this? Like who freaking cares? Does it help you in your relationship with God? And does it help you love people better in a more godly manner? Like, that's the way that I would evaluate different things. And if it doesn't do those two things, I don't know that it that it's beneficial, you know? Right. Yeah. So That's really good stuff, guys. You guys really crushed this one. Um, so I just want to remind you all who are listening to come out to United at the Indiana Theater first Tuesday of the month, 7.27 p.m., and join a small group. The small groups are happening right now, but you can still join. All you have to do is go to unitediup.com forward slash groups. You really need to get involved with those because a lot of good things are happening. Relationships are being built and you need to be a part of that. So thank you all for joining us for the ULAF podcast and we will see you in the next episode. See you. Which camera? <laughs> Look at all of them. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> bang, bang, bang. <laughs>